I mean, the only warning is that the Scots are quite blunt people, so you probably get some. <laughs> we we have a few friends that are Scottish, so we're we're uh, well prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, welcome to Super Social Club. I'm Jeremy. This is Whiskey in the Six. I'm Rob. Welcome to the Whiskey Ramp Podcast. It's a little crusty. It's frustrating. And it's going to be a little bit of a rant. I don't understand it. I don't know why. Some sort of injustice. Anyway, end rant. Hello and welcome back to the Whiskey Ramp Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Rob. And tonight we are joined by one of the master distillers, the up-and-coming distillery in Canada. Graham Macaloney joins us. Graham, how are you tonight? Very good, thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. So this distillery is coming with some pedigree already, quite a few awards. Um, you guys just, I'm looking at some of the awards. Am I getting this right? You have uh, five golds in, in recent years? Uh, yeah, well, I think the count's increased on that one. We put our whiskies into the World Whiskey Awards in London because they're blind tasting by experienced judges. And um and so there's no you can't buy the way into it. And so I think I think we've got six or seven gold medals now, including wow. world's best. But when I say six or seven, that's six or seven Canadian best. And then we've got a couple of world's best as well. Awesome. Um any so I think it was the was it the Kildara that got world's best? Yes, it was. Um, yeah. Um, and um we got you know, that's that's our first world's best fully fledged whiskey we actually won a couple of world's best awards for some of our moonshine or as the scots call it clearich um or, or uh, new make as others call it and we put some of our peated new make into world whiskey awards into that new make category and it won world's best but this is the big breakthrough for us because the goldara is a fully fledged whiskey it took on the pride of ireland and beat the pants off them <laughs> so for people that don't know tell us about your story because it is very interesting um you guys are situated in victoria bc so the far uh west coast of canada um how did you come about starting up a distillery there uh um so succinctly if i can be succinct uh when i was a wee lad back in scotland i had a summer job in the black and white whiskey factory and I was interested in biology and microbiology, and, and so that inspired me to go off to university and study fermentation. The prof said I should upgrade, so I did a biochemical engineering degree and eventually did a PhD in fermentation. And I thought I'm all set to get a job in the whiskey industry and applied for jobs, and they told me to bugger off because I was overqualified. <laughs> so I found out that PhD actually stands for piled higher and deeper. Um, so um, so I ended up in a fermentation career. Um, all the while, I remained a, a connoisseur like yourselves, a whiskey geek like yourselves, and um, worked through big pharma and fermentation. That brought me out to Canada in biotechnology um, to Canada. And that got me into venture capital funding and working with angel investors. And after doing all of that and still being passionate about whiskey, I thought, hey, I can create a job for myself. Why don't I just build a distillery and create a job for myself? <laughs> and of course, you have to raise a bunch of money on the way because I'm not independently wealthy. So I had to figure out how to raise money from angel investors and whiskey enthusiasts. And so we set about raising money from Canadians to build a Canadian distillery, from Canadian whiskey enthusiasts, I should say. And so that's how we, we got to where we are, if you will. Very cool. And you brought along some very reputable people in the industry as well. Um, tell us about your uh, partners who help you out distilling. Yes. Um, so um, uh, consultant master distiller, Mike Nicholson. Um, <laughs> Mike was a Diageo man all his life. Um, his dad and granddad were distillers. His father-in-law was a whiskey make, uh, blender. Um, so it's in his genes. He Thought he was, and he worked in 18 different Diageo distilleries as a master distiller with Lagavulin, Kalila, Blair Athog, Lincolnshire. Um, and he thought he was retiring to Vancouver Island until I found him <laughs> um, and dragged him out of retirement. Happily so. Now he's gone back into retirement again because, you know, we're a few years into this now. But he was great because as a master distiller, he helped his design and commission the plant. But then the key secret of a master distiller is 
running the process with batch to batch consistency. That's what the magic is of a master distiller. They make sure the quality of the spirit is the same all the time, given all these different variables. The other key person that I brought in um, was um, the legendary, the late, great Dr. Jim Swan. Yes. Um, and Jim Swan was a PhD chemist. So he's an essential mad scientist researcher who was an expert in whiskey chemistry. And what Jim did, which was absolutely astounding, um, was uh, he was an internal consultant for the Scotch Whiskey Research Institute. That meant he visited every single distillery in Scotland, whether it was a grain distillery, single malt distillery, it didn't matter. He visited them all as an internal consultant. Finally, and he watched with a scientist's mind the best practices. And then finally went independent and became a, 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 a consultant. And he helped Cavalan win World's Best in 2015 with a scabby five-year-old whiskey, for goodness sake, right? I mean, the Scots were like, what? you got to be bloody joking. You've beat us with a scabby five-year-old and you're from Taiwan with no history of whiskey making? <laughs> um, and so when I saw that, I thought, okay, Jim Swan's the man for me. Um, and um, so I thought, okay, I'll phone him up. He's in Edinburgh. I'm in Victoria. And I thought I'll interview him and bring him on as a consultant. And he grilled me for 45 minutes on the phone before he said, yes, I'm prepared to come and work for you, Graeme. <laughs> you know, that must have been quite the interview for you to go through a 45 minute grill fest from such a legend in the industry so good for you i guess to uh to land his expertise that's it and the wonderful thing about him was that for all his ex i mean he's been called the einstein of whiskey right um and for all his expertise he was a wonderful humble gentleman right mm. um and so when he came out here to com commission the process design the process and then when I traveled with him through Kentucky and Portugal and Spain to build the relationships for the whiskey casks, it was one PhD scientist talking to another mad PhD scientist. And I just learned so much from him. It was fantastic. It really was. So uh, you, you touched on it. So I, I had this question that I would have asked later, but it, since the topic is there, uh, these casks, Mike, <laughs> How old this 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 is like? I'm I'm guessing it's between you know it, it says whiskey on the bottle, so it's at least three years old. Maybe it's up to what six years old, but like the color on this whiskey and the quality too. Like it's not just you know you can tell that you're you've sourced incredible casks for this. So yeah. anything you can share about uh, these Spanish casks and the the relationship you built in Spain over here. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so, you, you know, for me, I, I think the reason why Jim accepted me as his consultant um, was that for me, I was all about wanting to do a traditional single malt process, but that it would be the best that a Scotch single malt can be. Obviously, we're doing Canadian single malt, but, you know, he figured out the best practices of traditional Scotch making for single malt whiskey. And when, when he saw that I was aspiring to do that and to specialize not in funky mash bills, right? Not in other funky ways, but specialize in wood. That was music to his ears because he had built relationships with the best cooperages and bodegas. And so when Jim said to me, he said, look, Graham, don't worry about it. I'll order the wood for you. I'll get you the same wood that Glendronach and McAllen and Glenfarclas, the same sherry wood that they use. Um, I'll get you the best Kentucky wood. I'll get you my special Shaftos Richard wood, which we'll talk about later if we've got if we've got enough time. Um, and I'll get you. I'll buy. I'll get. I'll order that wood for you, Graham. That's part of my service. And I said no, Jim. Um, you know, and this was kind of really sadly prophetic because I said, I said quite naively, I said, Jim, you're not going to be around forever. Um, so why don't I, I'll, I'll take the extra time and effort and expense to travel and visit with all of these cooperages and bodegas and you can introduce me. I'll keep working with you as long as you'll keep working with me, but I do want to establish that direct relationship and get to know these suppliers and share with them my aspirations for top quality. And it was a phenomenal trip. It was a phenomenal trip. Um, and not just in terms of, you know, 
all of these Cooperies and Bodegas, interestingly, are family businesses. That's kind of cool, right? So their 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 soul and heart are invested in these businesses. It's not some anonymous corporate business that you're dealing with, the family. Um, and they really cared about the fact that I took the time to go visit them. Um, and a little funny anecdote um, was I was about to place an order. I just placed an order for some of the Portuguese Shave Toe Shrecha red wine bariques. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a big order. It's my first ever order. I think it was like almost 100 bariques, which was a massive order for me to invest in. And Jim went over and quietly said to me, Graham, do you mind if I place an order for Cavalan? I said, no, no, that's fine, Jim. That's no problem. He said, oh, and I'd like to order a thousand bariques for Cavalan, please. And my jaw dropped. My jaw dropped, right? I thought a hundred casks was a big order. And here he's ordering a thousand. But the owners of that, that, that bodega, that cooperage, um, they said, Graham, they saw how shocked I was and said, Graham, don't you worry. We will always make sure that you get the best quality wood from us, irrespective of the size of your order, because you've made a personal commitment to come visit us. And now we've got a relationship, right? So, so yes, yeah, so we get the best wood that money can buy. It's expensive. It's not cheap. Um, but there's no color added coming back to your original question. That all of that color is coming from the wood, right? There's no artificial color there. And as you guys know, Clearach is called Clearach because the Gaelic speakers in the Highlands didn't have a word for clear, so they added ach on the end. And <laughs> Clearach comes off clear like water, and that's why they call it Clearach, right? Um, and so all of that color is coming from the wood. And if you've got great wood, you're going to pull out some, some great color. And the flavors with it, of course. What do you think the key is? Because obviously you're you're bottling a lot of stuff at a younger age. Would you say it's an equal part cask to distillate quality, the quality ingredients? Where would you rank as far as cask quality is concerned, distillate quality, or even you know the quality of the barley itself? What makes a whiskey really good at a really young age? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, for all of my degrees in science and engineering, what I love about whiskey making is you'll never tame it. You'll never figure it out completely, right? There's so many variables and they all have their different imp- impacts. Um, I think what I learned from Jim and, and, and like yourselves being astute observers of the quality of young whiskies from other old distilleries and new distilleries, Tasting their moonshine or clearer and pulling that all together. What I feel that Jim brought to the table was he when he dialed in and optimized a scotch process, a single malt scotch process to be the best that it could be, the spirit, the clearer that came off was super smooth. It wasn't hot and fiery, so it doesn't have to spend years being tamed by the charcoal in a cask. Yeah. and by oxygenation in a cask. Super complex and super fruity because he does a very narrow cut on his pot stills and very slow distillation on the pot stills. So you're really focusing in the tropical fruits and the floral notes with those volatile esters, if you will. And when you and then when you combine that with Canadian barley, which, which is way better than that Scottish crap um, <laughs> and English crap, right? Um, and the crap that they might might buy in for Europe, Canadians make the best barley on the planet. Oh. Um, and 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 what it does for me is it kills my economics because I get less alcohol from Canadian barley compared with English and Scottish barley. But I'm getting bigger flavors. I'm getting big juicy malt flavors coming through in the new make. So now you've got big bold flavors from the new make, from the Canadian barley. I've got my, I've got stuffed jam-packed in there, lots of floral and fruity esters from the cuts and slow distillation. And heck, it means you don't have to mature it for 12, 15 years for it to be great, 20 years for it to be great. This stuff is, is proven itself in three, four, five years. And um, so absolutely the Jim Swan method is a major contributor, but the Canadian barley is absolutely in there too. And and yes, I mean, you can put great spirit 
into crap wood and it'll sit there and kind of, you know, not do a lot. So you've got to buy really good wood. Um, the reverse is true. If you've got crap spirit, not, well, let's not call it crap. Like I've tasted a lot of scotch new me um, as part of the research before I built the distillery. And when I benchmarked our new make, what I found was that most scotch new make from the older guys, the established distillers, is kind of two-dimensional and a bit hot, right? And so it takes that 10, 12 years to build in a sub-dimension of complexity and, and to smooth it out and whatnot. Um, so it's not crap, right? I, I shouldn't use that word because it ends up being great whiskey. But if you've got that kind of two-dimensional stuff where it's a bit hot and you put it into a cask, it's going to take a long time for the cask to even out and add the complexity and, and smooth the whiskey out and whatnot. So you've got to have the both together. You've got to have the great new make spirit, the clearich, and you've got to have really top quality wood to be able to, to, to marry them together. So um, you ran into some issues with Scotland at some point <laughs> because of personally my thoughts and you know our sentiment is that they could tell that you guys were on to something very very good um <clears throat> you want to speak to that a little bit or uh, uh, yeah so um so what, what specifically what happened was the scotch whiskey association um um who are funded by big spirits in Scotland, right? I mean, the 16 board members, I think uh, nine of them are controlled by the three or four biggest Scotch companies on the planet. Um, and, um, and, and they filed a lawsuit saying, you're trying to pass off your whiskey as Scotch because you're using a Scottish sounding name called Macaloni. Right. Uh, you're using the word Caledonian, which was the original name for British Columbia. But it's also the original name for the Highlands of Scotland that the Romans called the Highlands of Scotland. But it was a really cool local story to tell tourists that the British Columbia used to be called New Caledonia once upon a time mm -hmm. um, because of all the settlers loved the scenery out here. Um, and then I used the verboten word that Glen in my whiskey yeah. because I'm a bit of a historian and I name my whiskies after my family history. And my family lived for 1,000 years in a glen called Glen Loy. And, and so Scottish Whiskey Association lawyers, I, I can understand why they did it, right? You know, they've got to defend, you know, the branding of Scotch. Um, I don't blame them for it. Um, but they argued that because I'm using Glen and Caledonian and Macaloni, um, and even the word island, they were arguing over as well, um, that we're trying to um, uh, persuade Canadians that this was really Scotch instead of Canadian Singapore. So um, we came to amicable resolution. Um, I can see their arguments. Um, and so we, they let us keep my name Macaloni. They let me keep the name island because we're on an island. Vancouver <laughs> Island is spectacular. And, and, if, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but I really do genuinely believe that we've got island ocean notes in our whiskies. Some of them actually they dry off at the back end, um, and some of them have, I think, a hint of salt in them, right? Yeah. When I drive to work in the morning, I can smell the ocean breeze. The ocean is two kilometers in a couple of directions from this distillery. So we, get, we kept Ireland, we kept Macaloni, and we gave up the two Scottish-sounding Glen Loy and renamed it Anne Loy. And everyone's happy and it's amicable and we're all moving forward quite happily. So it's it's disappointing because they must think Canadians like the condescension behind these kind of lawsuits yeah. is it's like do you think we're that stupid? Well, like, you're not the first. Obviously, Glenn Breton was a big one too, right? They came after Glenn Breton right, for, for, the, for that. So the thing with Glenn Breton is like we're talking we're talking at a time where maybe whiskey wasn't anywhere near as popular as it's it has it has been in the last seven eight years yeah you know all of a sudden we have a distillery in victoria bc that's on an island right you know um using yeah graham's using his own name, name his own personal name and, and like the condescension like, behind, you can't like, do that no you can't you can't use your name you're gonna think this is people are gonna think this is scotch you can't use the word island <laughs> what do you think we the scots own that word right <laughs> it's it's the cut i mean we ha we have a laugh at that 
quite often. And, and I honestly believe that a lot of the reason why they pursued you guys in particular is because they tasted the quality that's coming out of this distillery and they were, they felt threatened. Yeah. Graham, did you, did you anticipate this coming from them at all? Did it, did it take you by surprise or would you kind of expect maybe you'd hear something from them? No, totally not. I mean, it, I, I, you know, it, like it was a shock when it came through yeah. and I lost a lot of sleepless nights yeah. You know, a small, a small pre-profitable distillery that's having to spend a fortune on maturing whiskey, and it's going to be years away before we can actually break even uh, to get served a lawsuit. Like, you know, I was shit myself, right? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, I had to, you know, I knew we had to defend ourselves, and I had to go find one of the highest powered lawyers in Canada, right? They don't come cheap. No. Um, so there was a lot of sleepless nights, um, but as I as I came to terms with what, you know, they, they were being genuine, right? I really do believe that, that they, they're, they're trying to service their shareholders, right? Um, and I can't blame them. I don't have any hard feelings about it. Um, and once we got into discussions about it, and, and I think, you know, what really helped was the social media presence. Um, we had, I think, thousands of Canadians write letters of support um and um and that was fantastic you know to see that grassroots level of support and uh, with the sentiments that you guys had just articulated yourselves right um so uh, you know at the end of the day yes I, I never i never planned for this you know i thought glenn Breton had won their case and i was clear to to celebrate my family history with with glenn loy and invermali um, but I can understand where they're coming from. So we changed Glen Loy to Anne Loy and we changed Invermalley to St. Malley. Um, I've still got the family story in there, right? Um, but I don't have those controversial names anymore. And so, you know, we're all moving on from it. Makes sense. I mean, you did have the support of some Scots as well from Scotland. Like uh, Ralphie in particular was, yeah. was uh, defending your case as well um in a video a while back i can't remember exactly when oh, been... you know what it was in our it was in our video actually yes yeah. it was uh uh ralphie so the the famous youtuber ralphie um came on the whiskey rant and spoke i'm not sure if you saw that episode but uh spoke highly of you guys and and in your defense as well so. he's been a big uh defender of you know victims if you want to say that of the scotch whiskey association and like their prowess of how they go after you know small distilleries that did, did you want to say freedom there <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he's a freedom fighter he, he's a freedom fighter for uh for scotch distilleries or for yeah uh people that you know feel like they're getting stepped on by the scotch whiskey association and he's a big component of uh speaking out against that and it's it's great coming from him because he's a scotsman you know and it was and and i, I mean i thoroughly enjoyed watching you know that and you know he's spoken on it several times and um, i think ralph would be the first to say and i'll be the first to support is that the scotch whiskey association actually do a lot of valuable stuff um you know making sure that there's not um uh, fake fake scotches out there i think is to everyone's benefit um, you know, they're actively negotiating with India to, to you know, get rid of this 150 trade, 150% trade tariff, right? Um, and that's going to benefit everyone, right? It's, it's not just going to benefit Scotland. Eventually, that will benefit Canada, the US, all the international craft distillers will benefit from getting access to the Indian market, thanks to the Scotch Whiskey Association and the good work that they do there, so... So they have a function and a purpose, and and um, and I absolutely support them. And as does Ralphie, I believe too. Um, I want to talk more about the whiskey because obviously you're living every whiskey enthusiast's dream, starting yes. your own distillery. Um, Victoria, BC. What are the benefits um, of distilling there? Obviously, you mentioned really good barley production. The coastal elements you get uh, affect the whiskey as well. I want to speak to the backdrop you're sitting because you're sitting right. You have the best office uh, in the planet. It looks like you're sitting beside your two giant stills. Um, Which one is being worked on right now? Right, yeah, we can see it. For a this, better setting. this is so cool. <laughs> um, talk to the process about designing the stills and in the area that you're in, did that affect 
how you're shaping these uh, with the distillate. Right, okay. So um, my wife is, my long-suffering wife, Andrea, is uh, born and bred in Edmonton, and that's where I live for 25 years. Um, and uh, we decided to relocate to Victoria because when you make a, a study of the whiskey model, you realize that tourism is a huge component of it. Um, and Victoria is great because we have the cruise ship industry here in Victoria, right? Um, and it's a great tourist destination. Um, so that was one decision point. Um, I'd been out on holiday here and I felt like I thought I'd died and gone to heaven when I came out here and discovered all the craft beers. Mm -hmm. um, the scenery reminded me of Scotland. That's why they called it New Caledonia. Um, um, and, and I just loved, you know, the hill walking and the, and the, the beach combing and whatnot, right? But then when it comes to the whiskey making, um, you know, water, water's important, not necessarily in the ways that enthusiasts have, have, been, have been told over the decades when they ask awkward questions of, of tour operators back in Scotland and they have to come up with an answer for that question, perhaps. Um, and I think there's a few misnomers about, about the, the, the water quality. Um, I mean, out in Edmonton, you know, it's very mineralized water. Uh, I don't know that that really changes the quality of the spirit per se, but if you're actually living on the prairies and you have got your whiskey in your glass and you put a bit of tap water into your glass, I feel it, it dampens the nose and dampens the palate with all those minerals, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so the great thing about Victoria is we've got really soft water here. I don't think it makes a difference to the spirit, but if you think about the whiskey making process, when I've got in my final spirits receiver a double distillate sitting at 74% alcohol, or I've got a triple distillate sitting at 84% alcohol, and I have to cut that down to 63 and a half to put it into the casks. If I was cut, if I'm cutting that down with lovely soft water, I think it preserves the 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 the, the nose um, uh, of my fruity spirit better than if I was dealing with a heavy mineralized water, right? Really? Um, uh, so anyway, so, so we came out to the coast then, partly for tourism, the water's a benefit. Um, and a huge benefit, I believe, is being on the island with the ocean breeze and the influence that, that gets instilled, if you excuse the pun, into, into our whiskies from that. Um, the stills themselves, the pot stills themselves, because I'm very much a traditionalist, um, and I love the idea that I'm using a traditional Scotch process and a traditional Irish process, um, and just fine-tuning it to be the best it can be, um, I also want to use the best equipment. And so these pot stills behind me, um, uh, I'll, I'll just so you can get the scale of them. Uh, can you still hear me okay with yeah. the mic? Yeah. yeah so... This is a wash still. Um, uh, you probably can't see it, but it says for size on the man cover or the person cover, uh, person hole cover instead of a manhole cover. Um, <laughs> hand hammered, hand hammered in for size in Speyside in Scotland. Half the Scotch industry uses for size pots stills for a reason because they're the best. The other half of the industry is called Diageo, and they just build their own. <laughs> <laughs> they actually bought over Abercrombie Copper Works, and they build their own pot stills now, right? Um, but the other half, they use for size. Even Middleton Distillery, who make the most of the Irish whiskey on the planet, use for size as well, right? Um, you might notice as I'm standing, I'm, I'm 5'11", right? So you'll see that this is probably a bit taller than a lot of pot stills that you'll see. Um, it's a 5,500 litre wash still, right? So it's one of the large craft pot stills in North America. Um, most craft distillers might be 500 litres or 1,000 litre. We're at 5,500. So it's similar to, I think McAllen's are probably not much bigger than this. Um, Kilhoman, right? They're in that kind of scale. Um, I asked for a taller neck. Um, to get a bit more copper contact and a more patient distillation to, to, to give a lighter spirit. The line arm comes down 
to give us a nice clean cut on it. And then, of course, uh, you've got your, your shell and tube heat exchangers is what an engineer would call it. Condensers is what the, the geeks and punters call it. Um, this is stuffed with copper pipes uh, with co cold water in it. Um, and uh, 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 that copper contact, even in these, uh, in these condensers, is really critical for breaking down the big heavy flavors in the spirit and turning them into light volatiles like fruity esters and floral esters. So slow patient distillation with lots of copper contact is critical. Um, so that's the, the, the uh, 5,500 liter wash still. Spirit still, um, 3,650 liters, because you've concentrated the spirit, right? You, you, you brought it from a eight to 10% wash up to a kind of 30% low wines put the low wines in here with your four shots and paints from the previous batch and you're starting off about 40% and then by the time that you've that you've collected it you're you're up for a double distillation you're up to about 74% um, and then triple distillation about 84% and the magic happens obviously at the spirit safe where we're doing the cuts on on the pot still and um I'm going to tease you and maybe infuriate you by saying uh, that we do, per Jim Swan's comment, we do the narrowest cut in the Scotch industry. So we're doing a very, very narrow cut, which means we're sending most of that whiskey back to recycle. Um, but I'm going to infuriate you by telling you it's a secret exactly what the cut is. So <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what that is. And um, the one other secret I've got um, is that, just to piss you off even more, is um, uh, most of the Scotch industry uses M1 yeast. And M1 yeast is the distiller's yeast. It's there for making lots of alcohol. And I said to Jim, Jim, give me a second yeast uh, that's going to create uh, more natural oils in the fermentation because I want to create, create a creamy, velvety mouthfeel on the palate. And so we have a second yeast in there that's not so much for the alcohol production, it's more for creating some natural oils. So that's my two secrets, but anything else I can tell you. <laughs> uh, well, we're being educated as well because we don't get this opportunity every, every day to yeah. have someone walk us through Very, very cool. And really locally, there's, there's no one at the moment, I think some people are in the works of having something similar, but at the moment, no one has these kind of stills. Right. So it's, we actually, personally, I haven't seen them in person. Very cool. It's like our own private distillery tour. Yes. Um, I have a question and maybe you can reveal a secret about this. Um, we have a whole lineup of your, of your whiskey here and I'm trying the, um, the peated version here for the very first time. Talk about peat and where are you sourcing your peat from? Right. So I'm really excited about this. Um, uh, I mean, probably like you guys. I mean, once you become a whiskey connoisseur, you can, uh, I think a lot of people graduate into becoming a peat head, right? Yeah. Or, or we may even call ourselves pathetic peat heads on occasion, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, and you know, nothing like doing the, the, the pilgrimage and going back to Isla to have a look at the distilleries in Isla. Um, and it is a once in a lifetime pilgrimage. You know, the Roman Catholics can go off and do the Vatican thing and the Muslims can do Mecca, but we peat heads have to go to Isla. <laughs> um, and, and it's a great place to go see. Um, but you can have a similar experience coming out to Macaloni's distillery here because when I wanted to do the peaty whiskey, I wanted to do it in a traditional way, but with local ingredients. And, and what I mean by that is, as an engineer and a, as a whiskey maker, I wanted to mimic the traditional Isla method of peat smoking the barley, but I wanted to do it with local ingredients. So it's our style. I'm not trying to reproduce a Laphroaig or a Kilhoman or a Bowmore. Those are the only three distilleries on Isla that peat smoke their own barley. But I went and visited them to study how they smoke the barley there. And then I came back to Canada and my cousin happens to be a farmer on the prairies and if you know any farmers, they're cheaper than Scots and, <laughs> and they're very hands-on. And so I got them to build very cost-effectively a two-ton peat smoker. Now, Lafroy do seven tons at a moment at a time, right? Wow. We're doing two tons to start with. So you can see that we're thinking big here. And so that gives me amazing flexibility 
And when I studied the process in Isla, and then I brought the local ingredients together, I followed the Isla method, got my barley, sent it off to the top laboratory in Scotland, and it came back at 54 ppm, oh. right? So I nailed it in terms of trying to get that big Isla specification through the process, but it's local ingredients. So you've still got the big juicy Canadian barley coming through there. The peat, and, and that Canadian barley comes from British Columbia, right? Um, the peat, I call it local because it's just a hop, skip, and a jump across the water on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State. Okay. And this will intrigue you now. Uh, Westland, who are a great distillery, I've got a lot of respect for Matt, the distiller at Westland. He's just launched his peaty whiskey. And guess what? He uses the same peat that we use. So now, as peat geeks, peat heads, we can all compare Westland and Macaloni's and see the difference in processing because his peat gets sent to Skagit Valley maltings and they malt the peat in a very different method. It's not a traditional Scotch method. And I use the traditional Isla method. And you can compare and contrast the same peat um, and two very different whiskies. I think the modifying effect, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, um, but because I'm doing, Jim had passed away before I implemented the peat method, right? So I took what I learned from Jim and applied it to the peat method. Um, but I think Jim's distilling regime modifies the peat presentation quite a lot. I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel that our peat for 54 ppm is quite delicate on the nose yeah. and it allows the, the fruity esters to come through and the, the malt notes to come through. So it doesn't dominate the nose. But then when you drink it, then the peat explodes on the palate and it's a different peat from any other peat. You know, there's, there's kind of burnt heather and bonfire notes there. I don't know what else you get. Um, yeah, I'm loving the peat profile on this. this and this has got to be the best peated Canadian whiskey I've ever had. This thing, okay. So I got a few things to say. One, I love this peat profile. I get like a very sweet hickory kind of uh, smoke to it. Very, very nice. You put this into Richard Portuguese red wine barriques. Adds really good sweetness to it. I think that balance very, very good. It it's, kind of it, reminds me of Kilhoman a little bit. For the balance in this at the age that it, that it is, is is phenomenal. Um, what's the difference between, because I don't think a lot of people know that Canada has a huge amount of peat bogs. And we were always talking about how Canada distilleries don't utilize Canadian peat. What is the main difference between peat in Canada and peat in Scotland? Um. Well, well, let me, let me, you know, first off, it, it's, you, you know, most people aren't able to use different types of peat because, you know, if you want to build your own, my, if you want to buy a micro malting plant, you're going to invest a quarter of a million dollars or more, right? Or you have to go to Skagit Valley maltings and you've got access to probably one type of peat. Or you can buy it in from, you know, uh, uh, Bairds in Scotland, right? And you're getting the same peated stuff that pretty much everyone uses over there. So there aren't options for Canadian distillers unless you go figure out what I did, which is how to mimic the Isla process and then have someone build it. And, and it's a big risk and a lot of time and effort. So, so it is really tough for people to, to, to enter into that kind of playing with peat terroir, right? Mm -hmm. um, um, now, so what I've done is because I've, got this kind of first mover advantage in this area and no one else to my knowledge has gone out and done this before um no sooner did i do that washington peat and i put it into the world whiskey awards as a clear can you make and it won world's best but then the next year i thought i'll give it a west coast spin and you could argue that there's a scottish irish backstory to this as well but let's call it a canadian west coast spin and when it was the next season when I was doing that Washington peat, I threw on some seaweed onto the fire. Hmm. Uh -huh. I selected, but I selected the seaweed carefully. And, I, and there's a local seaweed farming company that worked with First Nations. And First Nations are farming seaweed up in Barclay Sound, pristine Barclay Sound on the west coast of Vancouver. Right? You don't get any more pristine than this, right? Um, and, um, and I got them to bring two different types of seaweed for me to taste and to burn. 
And I chewed on this raw seaweed, and one was really blah, really boring. Another one had a sweet note to it. I thought, holy crap, that's really interesting. Then I built my peat fires, and I threw the two types of seaweed onto my, my Washington peat. And it was almost like a, you know, a, a religious experience. It was like smudging myself with this peat smoke. Um, and it was fantastic. Again, this other seaweed species was kind of blah, nondescript, kind of vague ocean notes. But this one that tasted sweet when I chewed it, smelled sweet when I burned it. And so I did a campaign of Washington peat with what's called sugar kelp. Guess why it tastes sweet and smells sweet? It's called sugar kelp. And we did a campaign with that. And I sent that into the World Whiskey Awards a year later, and it won World's Best for the second time. You, so, I am not surprised. This is a fantastic peat. I agree. It is, honestly, I, this is my first time tasting it, and I am blown away at, at how good it is. And is it, so what, what's the, I mean, it doesn't say whiskey on it. Does Is this at least three years old, or is it, it's younger, right? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. that's mind blowing to me. It's crazy how these whiskeys drink for their age. Like you would never put an age. You would never think that this is this young of spirit and no. and whiskey. It's like it's crazy. It that and, and this is the beauty of peat done properly. Yes, is that you don't have to be that old. Octomores told us that long ago that you don't have to be older than five years old to be incredible. Yeah, and that's I mean something to be very very proud of like you have that's to excellent. you you guys have to be just you know so blown away by the by the quality and the production that you're that you're releasing right now like what do you envision your distillery being in the years to come um do you envision like these being you know the best canadian whiskey without a doubt and when you get a little bit of age on this like I is that something that your scale like what what's what's the grand scheme of this um in the future of your distillery well so <laughs> i mean it, it, it's it's a whiskey geek turned whiskey maker and so uh and, and you know for the last five years i've been pouring whiskey at clubs across canada um now i i i can't do much more of that right because you know, there's not enough time in the day. And so I've got a whiskey ambassador that I've trained up. It is a brilliant job. Um, but that keeps him close to the, the whiskey geeks, right? And and their passion and my passion, uh, I love the idea that we're taking traditional Scotch and traditional single malt and traditional Irish pot still processes, doing them here in Canada and beating the pants off the old country. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think Canadians appreciate that, that, you know, we're trying to make whiskey the best it can be in those styles, true to style, but we're doing it here in Canada, right? Yeah. Um, and I get a kick out of that. And I think the, the, the connoisseurs and the clubs get a kick out of that as well. So I don't know, you know, we just, we, we just beat that Kildara took on a 12 year old red breast, a 15 year old red breast, a 21 year old red breast, and a 25 year old red breast. And it beat a lot of them. Right. And the secret is that that's it's less than four years old. Yeah, that's crazy. Right. That's crazy. Now, I want to, I don't know if I can pull us off or not, but you've tasted the young peat there. Could I, could I do the same with the peat at some point? And, you know, could I possibly take on the Scots and beat them at their own game? Right. Honestly, uh, there's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that you're telling me that that's either one or two years old and, the way that drink, like, it's zero heat to it whatsoever yeah. at forty six percent. Flavor for days. The nose is beautiful. It's like a heathery, but there's some different elements of peat in there as well that would indicate almost Isla. It it has that Isla vibe, like I said, kill home in a little bit, mm -hmm. and then the, the flavor is just unbelievable. Yeah, uh, this is just like you know. It's refreshing take, uh, especially for us Canadians, because like Canadian whiskey for the longest time, in our opinion, has been branded and sold as a mixer, as you know, it's it's corn, it's rye, it's whatever blended together. Um, but the single malt yes. that's coming out now in North America, the U.S. specifically is, in BC, yeah, BC specifically, the U.S. is starting to do it as well. We are obviously huge single malt people. 
Um, just uh, such a refreshing take for Canadian whiskey. Super excited to where it's going. And, you know, your distillery is just doing magical things and you're getting amazing results at super young ages. So we're beyond excited to see where this distillery is going. I mean, absolutely. You got to be so excited and so proud of the stuff you've done so far. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and I mean, Canadians deserve it, right? Because we rank in Canada, we rank in the top 10 biggest single malt consumers on the planet, right? Yeah. Yep. So I think we deserve to have some good stuff on our on our home ground. So and, and we're not the only ones, right? I mean, I'll give a shout out to Shelter Point Up Island, Lone McKinnon in Vancouver. Um, there's young a very young distillery in in uh, in, in, in Calgary, uh, uh, Two Pine Venture, uh, Brag Creek, um, and then Divine here as well. And um, they're all doing fantastic stuff with single malt whiskies. So it's on the up and up and up. Um, I, just as a little teaser before we move on from the peak, because um, I'd sent you guys the mini pack that had essentially our, you know, the three Irish style, right? Um, the three pot stills with with a peated and an unpeated single malt in there, right? You know, that, that mini pack, I think, is what you got. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be sending you a peated mini pack in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and it's for the official launch of our PT Twisky. Um, so, um, and when, if you want to do another session at that point, once you've had a chance to go through that mini pack, I'd like to, I won't talk about it now, but I'd like to explore Pete Terroir a little bit more with you. But, <laughs> but let, let's leave that for another session to entice your followers to tune <laughs> in again. Are you suggesting that you source your Pete from the several different uh, locations? Is this what? <laughs> I'm not saying anymore. You're going to, have, <laughs> you're going to have to wait for my my package and a cover letter with it. That's very exciting, actually. Uh, honestly, I'm I'm giddy. Like I'm actually really yeah. Happy. Because like, have we had Canadian peated whiskey before? I don't. So have we or not? Well, only only aged in a peated barrel. Right, or, aged in a peated barrel, or they source their barley yeah. from scotland that's been peated that's already right, right? And that's kind of like the the hack that like yeah. every every north american distillery is trying when they're doing single malt is they're sourcing their barley from from scotland yeah. that's already peated it's already been peated and bring it here but i don't think we this is this a canadian this is, barley yeah, this is crazy. that's being peated in canada and it's about What's time it? unheard of it's about time that our our peat gets used because we have so much well, it, it's a North American peat, but the barley is Canadian, which is important. So and, well, in, the next, in the next session we do, we can talk about Canadian peat as well. There we go. I figured that. Yeah. I, I, th right. I thought that was coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that because it's, it's important to know that, I mean, it's important to know that if whatever happens, we can, we can, rely on our our canadian roots to, to there you go to continue to fill these bar this bar uh, yeah behind me. there was there was a, a a headline that said that uh scotland was losing its peat yeah at a rapid pace that's right and, and, <laughs> i don't know how much that is like legit and, or it's not just, but it's it's everything though yeah. it's it's the way the prices of everything are going and you know who knows if in five years time like the average single malt coming out of scotland is going to be four hundred dollars like you don't know right sure. we don't know where, where prices are headed and mm -hmm. if it can be done locally maybe that'll help canadians yeah right yeah um th that's really cool I'm, re I'm really excited about the 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 next video yeah uh focused on people let's let's pivot a little bit to what we have here uh i want to go back to this one because this one in particular is the Inverna Haven, and it's has this been submitted already to to uh, San Francisco? Or no, I, I don't think so, um, because I was a little bit gun shy about submitting it because it's a great seller, um, but it's a big sherry bomb, right? Yeah. And and I don't know if the judges might score it down because it's a big sherry bomb. But you know, a bunch of us love sherry bombs. Um, I love them, right? Yeah. Um, you know, old style Macallans, Glendronach, Saber Lowers. Um, um, but um, but I think I you know I was I was thinking about it. I thought you know what the heck we'll put it in and see how it does, right? I think you should. 
Uh, and the reason I say that is, I mean, I don't know how old it is. I'm, I'm assuming between, like I said earlier, three and six, uh, but it punches way above its weight class. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's drinking on par with a 12 year old scotch. Yeah, I would say. And, and, and better than many of them. Um, um, matured in PX and Oloroso, right up Rob's alley. He yeah. has the big, uh, yeah, the big dark juicy sherry bombs. Forty six percent ABV. Everything we've tasting in front of us, forty six percent ABV. Is that something that you really were set on doing, bottling um, at that strength? Uh, uh, yeah, um, I didn't want to go less than that because I think you get a bit of a watery presentation. And 46% with the oils and the alcohol. Actually, there's a chemistry behind it that brings the flavors together. And you and I, right, we we recognize that as better flavored. And people that put it out at 43% and 40%, I think, are missing the point here from a connoisseur's perspective. So I think minimum 46. Um, we do single cask bottlings um, in the 55 to 57%. Um, and the BCLDB at the moment, you can get... Uh, in Vanahaven, I think at 57% um, uh, in the BC liquor stores. Um, and we will be releasing more cast strength when we can find stores that want them, right? Because um, not everybody wants to carry cast strength, right? The, so what, what would you say roughly is the oldest uh, barrels that you have in your distillery at the moment? <laughs> uh, um, well, you know, we st- let's let me answer it this way, because um, you know, I, I think I don't. You know, there's still a bunch of Scotch snobs and age snobs out there, right? And you guys are helping to educate them that no, you shouldn't be focused on age, right? Yeah, so yeah. I, I really, that, you know, there's a reason why we don't put age statements on our whiskies, right? Um, but let's just say that you know, I started distilling in late 2016. Um, uh, we because we're funded at grassroots level uh, I almost ran out of money the first year and so I couldn't make very much whiskey in the first year so all of that whiskey has been well, not, the last of it's getting bottled now um, uh, no, actually no I think all of that first year stuff has been bottled um, uh, so you can figure out the math yourself right? But, yeah, fair enough This, I think this is the Portuguese wine cask. Which one was that again? A couple of them are in Portuguese wine. Uh, the non-peated. So, so the little backstory to that was that it was a Jim Swan, a Jim Swan innovation. Um, I don't know how, if you've heard about it or not, but um, <clears throat> this is a stave from um, a Portuguese red wine brie, and you might see the red wine stain just below the surface of the charcoal. And I always do a heavy crocodile char on, on my wood. I just like that. Maybe it adds a little extra dimension. Um, a hint of smokiness, even our unpeated stuff. Um, but what Jim Jim did something miraculous with this, um, this technique. And he, 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 he partnered with a, a cooperage in Oporto um, in oh. Portugal. And, and as you guys know, every bourbon cask, Every wine cask will have been through a toast and a char before the wine or bourbon goes into it. That gets disgorged and then it gets sent straight to the Scotch or the Irish or the Canadian distillers, still dripping wet, right, um, of the wine or, or still dripping wet from the bourbon. And then we put our whiskey in it. And that's a normal method. Jim Swan said that process is important. And he did an experiment where it, after this red wine had been emptied, he scraped the charcoal off and he retoasted it and recharred it a second time. And so now that oak has been through two heat treatments and it breaks down the oak structure. It makes the stave a bit thinner and it allows the oak influence to be much more powerful than a traditional cask. And it was pure genius on Jim's part. Um, and 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 um, and these and and the other thing that you'll notice, um, I think you noticed it already, but I'll give you the explanation of it. These Portuguese red wine breeks, 
they bring a sweetness to the wine, uh, to the to the the whiskey, and and almost like a kind of caramel or butterscotch or toffee sweetness, and that's because the wood structure has been broken down, um, and the red wine, which is a dry acidic red wine, has been caramelized in the wood. And it's been sweetened and caramelized. So you're getting a natural caramel in here. But when you break down the wood, that wood gets extracted into the whiskey. And believe it or not, in the cask, when that some of those wood notes get oxidized three times in a row to produce a toffee or butterscotch flavor that you and I might recognize. And so you've, you'll have noticed as a connoisseur. If you leave a whiskey in the glass to develop in the glass and you go back to it after 20 minutes, you might notice, oh, hey, there's more of a butterscotch or toffee note to it than there was before. That's the lignin breakdown component that's now been finally oxidized for the third time. And so, and that develops in the glass because it doesn't fully oxidize in the cask. And so Jim did miraculous things. He caramelized the red wine to make it a sweet red wine. So you get the red berry notes but you're getting a, a, a caramel sweetness. And then you're getting the kind of toffee notes from the broken down wood as well. It's a spectacular task, and I love working with it. That's very cool. Very interesting. That's, so are we, are we, did I catch that correctly? Did, did, did Jim technically invent the STR style? Yes. I had no idea that that was, wow, that's really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, Jim, by the way, Jim also, Balvenie will argue this, but Jim advised Glenn Moringer to uh, in, uh, pioneer finishing of whiskey. Up until that time, all Scotch and Irish whiskey had been left in one cask and then bottled. And Jim went back to Glenn Moringer and said, look, your original Glenn Moringer is a fine whiskey, but I've been experimenting and I put it into a port pipe and I finished it in a port pipe. I think this is commercial. You should commercialize this. And that was the genesis, that was the invention of finished whiskies at that instant. Now, Balvenie may argue the toss on that because Balvenie at the same time came up with a double wood independent of Jim Swan, right? Yeah. So you can argue the toss, did Jim invent whiskey finishing or was it simultaneously invented by Jim and Bal by Balvenie? So you're saying that he was responsible for the Quinta Rubin, like the essential, yeah, like that first, he invented the, the Quinta Rubin, yeah. And the Lasagna. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. And then he went on and invented this shape to feature method. Wow. That's so this absolute legend, as you described them earlier, is involved in this Canadian distillery. And I personally think that not enough people know about you guys. I mean, like we've had one bottle of Macalonis on the LCBO shelf, and it wasn't quite a whiskey yet. It was a single malt. Yeah, Mac Magna Bracha. Yeah. If, if people can buy the last 50 bottles of that Magna Bracha, maybe I can get something else into the LCBO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably are like, you have to sell this first before you get a new one in, right? The LCBO is such a weird, weird yeah. organization because you have this incredible distillery out west that you could be showcasing as homegrown canadian stuff yeah and people have only seen one expression in it yeah of it in ontario and, 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 like, and, and that, that that magna bracha that's in the lcbo now that is using the shave toast rechar so if anybody that's listening wants to experience it that's the best way to try it is to buy a bottle of the magna bracha yeah, we tried that during that Ralphie uh, video, and we were really impressed. Very good. Because we were like, okay, this is not quite a whiskey yet, technically. Yeah. Quote, unquote. But it's fantastic. Absolutely. Again, punching way above its weight class. So, yeah. yeah. I highly recommend you guys go buy those 50 bottles because we need more macalones <laughs> in, in the LCBO. We do. We need a recycle of more options, 100%. Yeah. So um, I guess this is the part one of what will be a part to eventually when we we uh go through that peated stuff um i'm really excited about it and i know jeremy i could tell he was pretty excited once he started nosing that uh oh my god whiskey as well yes yes um yeah so i guess let's 
did you have any more questions or i have a thousand more questions um i'm super interested in in your distillery but let's save it let's say we'll we'll, we'll talk more pete talk more canadian pete when yeah. we get there we'll make this a part uh, two very soon yeah um any any chance you're coming up to ontario in the next uh, little while or hmm. uh, i say our, our whiskey ambassador robin morgan is based in toronto and he does whiskey club tastings all over the province I mean, he was out in Barry last night um, uh, doing a tasting out there for the whiskey club out there. He's done all the companions of the Quake Whiskey Club. So if anyone has a whiskey club and they want Robin to come and do a tasting for them, um, you know, we'll bring in the range of whiskeys and, and, and he'll pour them for, for the club. Yeah. And because yeah. people can, you know, even though you've only got the one whiskey in the LCBO stores, hey, if LCBO wants to buy more product from me, that's great. But as a connoisseur, you can go to our website and we'll deliver two bottles for free anywhere in Canada. That's right? a cool option. Yeah. yeah. So and, and really you're not getting that kind of service anywhere else. Yeah. And we'll we'll definitely throw that link in the description of this video if you want to take a look. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the takeaway is, is that we're super excited um yeah. about the whiskeys coming out. And yeah, I mean, like, I think that it's it's a fresh take, uh, the things that you're doing. Um, and no wonder why these awards are coming in, because you're giving these tasters something they've never tried before in combinations that they've never experienced. And uh, yeah, it's just, I'm super excited for Canadian whiskey, for single malt, and for the stuff that's um, coming out of your distillery. It's 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 so inspirational and Absolutely. so refreshing and, and so happy about it. It's, it's a seven year old distillery or almost eight, I guess. Um, and it reminds me personally of the Brook Laddie distillery story, like yeah. how that kind of evolved into what it was. And, you know, there, the moving parts involved in that. And like, I mean, it, it's really cool. Like you guys have, a huge history backing you already before you know you've hit your 10th year it's like our favorite whiskeys being made in our backyard with a new spin on it and it's just interesting exactly yeah, it's really cool yeah, yeah very cool but i think for me the other cool aspect of this is that i mean i've called it i hope it doesn't sound glib but i call it this distillery was built by canadians for canadians and and what i mean by that is i i, I don't have a bunch of savings Right. Um, and so I had to remortgage my house, uh, put another BC, by the way, stands for bring cash. Right? <laughs> so houses, houses are freaking expensive here. Right. So I've already got a mortgage and then I had to persuade my wife, my long suffering wife, to add $160,000 onto the mortgage. And then I went from coast to coast across Canada talking to whiskey clubs, pouring some Jim Swan's Cavalan and some Aaron Scotch whiskey, 10 year old, and asked blind and saying, what do you prefer? And people all preferred this three year old Cavalan because Jim Swan had made it in a blind tasting, right? It tasted and I said, right, here's the dream. Give me your money and I'll put it towards building a distillery. So we were doing crowdfunding before crowdfunding platforms existed in Canada. And I was just doing it through whiskey clubs. Um, and we're still, I mean, we're about a year and a half away from being break-even, right? So I'm still raising crowdfunding money. Um, so if anyone wants to go visit our site, our website, you can see if you want to be a part owner of this, you can have at it, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the perks are uh, lots of perks. We're on an academy that's free for our investors. We've just relaunched it. Public can buy into it. We've just launched it now. It's a two-day academy where you get lectures and we take it into the barrel room so you can pull samples. Up here, sampling the cleric as it comes off the pots um, and a, a little blending class as well. So it's a great academy, two days. Um, if you're an investor, that's free. Um, uh, and uh, uh, discounts on the whiskeys as well as an investor. You get a cool jacket that says owner of Macaloni's Distillery on the shoulder, all that kind of. And then, of course, there's a return on investment. Eventually, hopefully, people will make money as being a small investor. We've got 700 Canadians from coast to coast. Wow. And they're not millionaires. They're punters like you and me yeah. that just for the passion of it wanted to see this happen, right? So... That's 
That's really cool. Very, very cool story. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Okay, so um, anything else you would like to share before we sign off for part one? And, you know, uh, there will be another opportunity to do this very shortly. But uh, honestly, this was an absolute put. This mm -hmm. went, I, I mean, you always have an expectation. You know, uh, we were excited about this and we thought it was going to be excellent. But it's it surpassed my expectations as far as yeah. uh, what happened tonight. Uh, really, really cool talking with you, Graham. That was that was uh very inspiring. Very, yeah. very cool. Fantastic. Yeah. So as a teaser, um, next time we'll talk about the PT Friskies, and two of them have already won Canadian Best, so you, you'll get to try them. Um, and uh, and I'll also be talking about a new whiskey trail next time as well that we're putting together. So okay. awesome. Very nice. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you very much. Graham, the, yeah, it was such a pleasure. And thank you so much for joining us. And uh, until next time. Until next time, part two. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, really, I really appreciate you guys, Robin, and taking the time, right? I mean, it's just, uh, it's, you're taking a lot of time out of your own life here to share with other people watching you and exciting. And I appreciate your support. So thank you. We're not as busy as you, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> It's our pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. Cheers, guys. All right, we'll talk to you again. Thank you.